Psalm 56, when I started this series in Psalms, I thought we'd hit a few selected Psalms and um, we'd probably be done by now. But um, then as I keep looking at Psalms and praying about them, it's like God says, no, spend time on this one. So I've given up when we'll be done with Psalms. But um, two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 55, and it was the heart of David when he was forsaken. And we saw principles from that. When you feel forsaken or betrayed in life, how do you respond to that? Well, Psalm 56 is another snapshot into a point in time in David's life that doesn't deal with necessarily forsaken, but maybe beyond that, when he was facing fear, David did not hesitate to admit that there were times when he was afraid. Um, In your Bible, it may have a note there that he is reflecting on the time when the Philistines took him in Gath. Um, The history of that is from 1 Samuel 21. We're not going to go there and, and read all that. But here David, who through fear of Saul... Escaped down to the Philistine territory of Gath, he took with him Goliath's old sword. Well, you may or may not recall that Gath was the hometown of Goliath, all right? So here comes a guy that killed Goliath into his hometown carrying Goliath's sword that he used to chop his head off. And you can imagine that he probably wasn't the most popular person down there. But what could he do? He was fleeing for his own life from Saul. And yet, in the midst of this, he went through a very low point, um, facing a new fear, the fear of the king of Gath. He sinks to a new low and he begins acting like a madman. I mean, he's, he's allowing his saliva to drool down his beard. And he's acting like a madman. And the king of Gath responded, Don't we have enough madmen around here? Why are you bringing this guy to me? And in the midst of that low, David learned some important lessons that We don't have to go through that to learn. We can look at Psalm 56. Notice we read, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. 
Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger, cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? David dealing with fear. You'll notice the many references to fear in this. You'll also note many references to trust. Fear is an interesting thing. Um, They said that Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin so feared for his own safety that in his residence he had eight bedrooms. And each night he would choose a bedroom at random to ensure that no one knew which bedroom he was in because he feared that someone was coming to kill him. I mean, think of that. He was, he was the dictator of the nation, and yet he was bound by that fear. Louis Pasteur, who developed great advances in medicine, had such an irrational fear of dirt and infection that he refused to shake hands. Maybe, maybe we all could learn from him there. Some of the fears you look back on and, and you laugh about. President and Mrs. Benjamin Harrison were so, intimid- so intimidated by the newfangled electricity installed in the White House that they didn't dare touch the switches. If there were no servants around to turn off the lights when the Harrisons went to bed, they slept with the lights on. I mean, we laugh at that now, but to them, that was a very real fear that that they dealt with. Researchers at John Hopkins University reported that in 1960, the greatest fears of school-age children were, number one, animals, number two, being in a dark room, number three, high places, number four, strangers, And number five, loud noises. In 1990, they found that kids were afraid of number one, divorce, number two, nuclear war, number three, cancer, number four, pollution, number five, being mugged. If you need something to do, I'd suggest you apply to the government for a grant to study what the current fears of kids are, all right? There probably is one going on. But as I was thinking about that, I thought 
Current fears of kids might be losing my phone, not having internet, sexual predators, climate change, and ISIS. Now, have you known those were just things that I came up those last five? And I'm not saying, I, I shouldn't even mention it. I don't believe climate change. I'm saying kids have been brainwashed to believe that climate change is something they need to fear, all right? If you want more information on that from me, see me afterwards, all right? I don't believe we're in danger of climate change, all right? At any rate, how did we get there? But you see how all these fears have changed. The reality is that fear is something that every one of us deals with. It's natural to fear danger and, to a certain degree, to fear death. It's implanted in us to, one, make us cautious, and, two, to introduce us to put our trust in God as our preserver, as our Savior, as our friend. Nature, naturally speaking, says to be afraid to recoil from the natural fear. But at the same time, we understand that fear is a very real part of life. And we also understand David in saying, writing this, what time I am afraid, that isn't a very manly thing to say. I mean... It's not very manly to say, I'm afraid. But the reality is, every man and every woman and every boy and every girl ought to have certain fears and do have fears. A number of years ago, there was a popular thing. You'd see it on bumper stickers, no fear. I was half tempted to um, see one of those and do something that would definitely cause fear, like come at them 90 miles an hour in a semi-truck and see if they didn't have fear, you know. We want to live in a fantasy world like, I have no fear, I'm a man, I don't have any fear. The reality is that every man, we were reminded of it in our Sunday school class, has a nagging question, do I have what it takes Can I accomplish what God has called me to? And every person has fears. It's what we do with those. And David admits, he says, what time I am afraid. And then he gives us some pointers in dealing with fears. He says, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. But first of all, notice verse 1 He says, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. And then he goes on and he he gives us a picture of what's going on in his life. But the first thing that he does is he cries out to God for mercy. There are many things that come in this life that are beyond us and that are given to us to drive us to God, to cry out to Him for mercy. 
we're going to see David ended up having great confidence. But how did he get this confidence? He, in essence, prayed himself into this confidence. Fear should be a springboard that drives us to prayer. It should be a springboard that we bounce off and and it's like a, a notification that fear starts gripping us, that it ought to be something that says, I need to cry out to God. God, I plead for your mercies. God, I am helpless. You know, many people, unsaved people, say, well, Christianity is, is just a crutch to help you get through life. Call it whatever you want, but we cannot successfully live this life without Christ. And God brings many things into our lives to help us to draw near to Him. First of all, to come to salvation, and then secondly, as believers, to get us to come to God. And these fears should cause us to, number one, cry out to God for mercy. Many times we seek to deny the fears. We seek go to great lengths to avoid the fears. President Harrison sleeping all night with the lights on to, to avoid the fear of turning off the electricity, whatever it is. And we go to great lengths to deal with it when God intends it to bring us to Him. And the first thing that David did, he cried out to God for mercy. Be, be merciful unto me, O God. He said, mine enemies would daily swallow me up. There be many that fight against me. And he laid his case out before God. He poured his heart out to God. You'll find that often in the Psalms. And then you notice what he said. Verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Faith, trust, and fear do not blend. They are like uh, water and oil in a man's soul. What time I am afraid, there's the natural heart. There's the, the natural being, so to speak. Then he speaks. There's the natural man and there's the spiritual man. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. Then he says, what time I am afraid, that's the flesh. And then he says, I will trust in thee, that is the spirit. It speaks of the man that um, sees things from God's perspective and rises above nature and rises above the circumstances and is dependent upon the everlasting arms of God. But he says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Notice verse 4, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. You cannot trust someone that you do not know or that you casually know. See, this is, this is why it's so important 
our personal walk with God. This is why we say get in the Word. You need to meditate on the Word. You need to learn the Word. You need to get more of the Word than you ever get in church. If all you get of the Word is what you get in church, you, you're you not going to make it. You will not make it. And there will come difficulties in life that God calls us to trust Him But if we don't know Him in a close manner, we're not going to be able to trust Him. What David is saying is he's remembering God. He's remembering His promises. You notice what he said, In God I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. He had a reservoir of the Word of God in his life, if you please, that he could go back to in those, those difficult times of life and draw out of it the promises of God's Word that he could say, God, I don't see you right now, but I know that you promised I will, you would never leave me nor forsake me. God, it doesn't feel like anything good is happening in my life right now. But I'm resting in the promise that you said that you are able to make all things work together for good to them that love you. But see, if we haven't personalized our walk with God, we're not going to be able to trust Him. It's, it's madness to just say, I will not be afraid. I mean, there is um, positive thinking helps to a certain degree, but the reality is just saying, I will not be afraid is not the solution to fear. I will not be afraid. I will trust in God. Many of you have young children, and and you're thinking, wow, bringing up kids in this world today. And you can be overcome with fears. What are we bringing these kids into in this world today? And if you look at the world around you, your heart will be overcome with fears. And it's not enough to just say, oh, don't fear, don't fear, don't think about it, don't think about that. We must trust in God. How would you like to bend Moses' parents at the time that he was born? We, we think things have never been this bad before. They've been this bad before. Throughout history they have been, and you know what? Through everything, God has proven himself to be faithful. In every age, and he will do the same for you. But you know what? It's not enough for you to hear that from me, the preacher. You must know that in a personal manner. Because there will be times in your life when you literally are all alone. You have nothing to support you except the truth of God's Word and the reality of the promises of God. And God's Word is enough when you have personalized it. But you cannot put your trust in God's Word 
if you've ended up holding him at arm's length, if you've neglected the word of God, there is this resolve that, that David had that my relationship with God, I will trust in the Lord. I am dependent upon the truth of God's word. And we could spend much more time here on this aspect of trust, but once again, he, he remembers the Word of God. He remembers the promises of God as he's seen it through the Word. He remembers the faithfulness of God. And, and do you understand how blessed we are? David didn't have the whole Word of God like we have. We have the complete Word of God from Genesis, the very beginning, to we already know how things are going to end in the book of Revelation. And we've seen how God has been faithful to his word, his promises to Noah. He fulfilled them exactly as he said. His promises that a Messiah would come fulfilled exactly every degree. The promise of the resurrection fulfilled it. On and on and on and on. We have all of that. And then we develop our own life experience by, look at God was faithful to me in this. And God was faithful to me in this. That's why I say it's important for you to journal, that you write down and record the faithfulness of God, that you go back and read over those and say, wow, this is exactly what I've done. I forgot all about that situation. But you know what? God was faithful in that. And it builds your faith. It establishes you so that you are able to trust in Him. So first of all, He cried out to God. Secondly, he trusted God. What time I am afraid, it ought to be a reminder to us to cry out to God, okay, what can I trust about God? And then, thirdly, you notice in verse 4, he says, in God I will praise his word. Notice if you look in verse 10, in God will I praise his word, in the Lord will I praise his word. David developed a confidence in the face of fear because he cried out to God for mercy. He trusted God, and by faith, he praised God. He gave thanks to God. He was admiring of God and his characteristics and its attributes. Thanksgiving is, thank you, God, for what you did for me. Thank you for... What you've done. Praise goes beyond thanksgiving. God, I praise you that you are all-knowing. I praise you that you are ever-present with me. God, I praise you for your holiness. Praise admires who God is. We can't do that if we don't know Him. Praise is, is... magnifying in our eyes and in the eyes of others the attributes of God. It's not literally magnifying because we can't make them bigger than they are because they're way bigger than we can ever imagine. But it is so important not just to say, oh, I I, I should not fear, I should not fear, I need to overcome fear. No, cry out to God, trust His Word, and give praise to God. And then notice also in verse 4, he says, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. He lists, they, 
They're waiting on every word that I say. They try to twist my words. They gather themselves against me. They're trying to kill me. They're doing all these things. But he said, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Notice verse 11. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. So the fears that he's seen are fears that man can bring. And he says, wait a minute, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to praise God. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Honestly, what can man do to you? What's the very worst thing that they can do to you? I mean, think about it. What's the worst thing? Killing is not the... I don't think killing is the worst thing they could do to you. I think torture would be the worst thing that they could do to you. But in in the grand scope of things, if they tortured you for ten years... The sufferings of this present are not worthy to be compared with the glories of the future. Most of us fear if, you know, um, you keep hearing about vans running on bridges in London and blowing people up and all these things. And and so you think, I don't don't know if I want to go to that ball game or I don't know if I want to go to the Farm Progress show or what, you know or whatever, the fears that can come in. The worst thing that they can... David said, I'm, I'm seeing this from a different perspective. The worst thing they can do to me, kill me? In other words, is it a bad thing to be absent from your carrying case and present with the Lord? Our body is the carrying case for the real us. Let's say that um, your grandfather got you a beautiful Stradivarius violin. And he personalized the case, made it specifically that you could recognize your case And you worked on that, and you worked on that violin, and you were able to play, and you were invited to play with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. That'd be a pretty big thing, wouldn't it? You violinists that are out, wouldn't that be a big thing? And as you went there to play, you were so excited and you took your Stradivarius out of that case and you went out and you warmed up and you practiced and you were sitting there and that sound in that amphitorium was just perfect to your ears and you thought, this is, this is the next best thing to heaven. So they take a break, the show will be, the program will begin in a half hour, and you go back, and you can't find your case. It's gone. Now, honestly, that may cause you a little concern, 
but would it make you forfeit going out and playing? You'd say, no way. The important part of this is not the case, it's the Stradivarius. And I am playing with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. We need not fear what man can do unto us. They can do something to the carrying case, but they can only send us, not to the New York Philharmonic, they send us to the presence of God. And we need not be filled with fear. I will not fear what man can do unto us. But notice how he ends this confidence. Notice verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. This comes from a personal relationship with God. <clears throat> and David said, I know that God is for me. Not just that He is here for me. God is for me. A man's confidence is not the product of outward circumstances, but of his trust in God. David brought himself to the place where he could say, this is one thing I know. God is for me. And the longer I live personally, the less I know, but the more I'm knowing a few things confidently. And David said, this is one thing I know. God is for me. There would have been a thousand things David didn't know. If you ask him, how are you going to get out of these present troubles? He'd say, I have no clue. If you ask him, are you going to become the king? He'd say, it doesn't look like it. I, I don't have any idea on that. And you could have asked him many, many things. And if you said, well, what do you know? David would have said, I know this. God is for me. And if God is for me, then he will take care of everything that concerns me. And that's all I need to know. Assured that God has the power to deliver us from the calamity, to give us the grace through the calamity. But how do you know that God is really for you? Where should you look for proof that God is for you? Does it lie in the fact that your Christian life has been an unbroken string of happiness? Does it lie in the fact that that everything's turning out good in your life. That, that shows me that God is for me. No, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There's no person that has been a follower of Jesus Christ that can legitimately say, I know that God is for me because everything has gone just right in my life. There are many, many difficulties in life. 
We know that God is for us because of what we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now notice verse 32. This is proof that God is for us. Verse 32, it's important. We rang the bell so you would wake up and hear this, okay? This is very, very important. And we'll wait until um, the bell rings, okay? That's all right. You know, how many of us have ever left our phone on and had it ring in an inopportune time, okay? So we're not going to deny the elephant in the room, Okay, it's there, all right? It's taken care of now, all right? So how do I know God is for me? He said, if God be for me, who can be against me? Then verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How do I know that God is for me? There is only one irrefutable answer to that question, and it is not found in our circumstances. It lies only in the provision that God gave in Jesus Christ. The whole point of Paul's question, who can be against me, rests in the fact that God is for me, And we can be assured that God is for us because God, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, did not spare His Son, but gave Him up for you. And Paul affirms, if this is true, we can be confident in the fact that God will take care of everything else that we ever need. This is the only sure way that we can rest in the fact that God is for us. And it is the way. It is the best way. But we become accustomed to the gospel. Oh, yeah, God died for us, you know, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. Yeah, let's go on to something else. No. How do I know in the midst of the dark valley... In the midst of the difficulty of life, and it may not feel like God is for me. How do I know that God is for me? Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled. By it I have been pardoned. It's, I know that God is for me. Because He willingly sacrificed His Son on my behalf. So that I can trust Him. I can rest in the Lord. I can trust Him. Will will He do what is best? If He paid this price for me, as Paul said, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? People twist that to say, well, name it and claim it. He ought to give you all things. No, He gives us everything I need for life and godliness. He'll give me everything I need, the grace I need, 
to honor Him through this circumstance in life. I know that God is for me. Why? Because He gave His Son to give me a personal relationship with Him, and I know God in a personal, daily, moment-by-moment walk. Not something I hear others talk about, I know the Spirit of God speaking to my heart. I know that God is for me. I know that God is good. I know. And everything around me may be collapsing. And Paul wrote in Corinthians, he said, Though the outward man perish, our bodies are falling apart, literally falling apart. And if yours isn't yet, just live long enough. It will be falling apart. Amen? Are there any amens out there on that? We're too feeble. We can't even say amen. That's another testimony of it, all right? But our bodies dwindle. But he said, though the outward man perish, he said, the inward man is renewed day by day. So I can trust God. I will not fear what man can do unto me. What's the worst thing they can do to me? God will give me the grace. And the reality is that we can trust Him. I don't know what today you may be facing. I don't know what fears may be gripping your heart. And every one of us, they have different fears. And you might say, there's no real fear that's gripping my heart. <clears throat> but what are the things that cause you consternation that then you start wrestling? Well, I can do this and I can do this and we can prevent this and we can do this. Do we just need to come back and cry out to God for mercy and trust Him and praise Him? And have the resolve, God, I am not going to fear man because I know you are for me. Heavenly Father, you know our fears today. Lord, it may be a fear of the future. It may be a fear that we have for a loved one, that we see what they're experiencing. Lord, there's no no end to the fears that we can have in this life. But I pray that we would acknowledge the fears and that we would cry out to you, that we would trust you, that we would praise you, that we would have the resolve of David, the confidence that we will not fear what man can do unto us because we know that you are for us. Lord, I pray that there would be liberty brought in lives here today that free us from the bondage of fears. Lord, I pray for people that are here today that have never trusted the gift 
and receive the gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, I pray that they would be overcome with the fear of eternity without you that would drive them to you. And I pray even today in simplicity they would cry out to you for forgiveness of sin and come to know the joy, the freedom from the fear of death, the freedom from the penalty of sin, and someday the freedom from the presence of sin. Lord, I pray for believers here today that their souls have been tormented with with fears. I pray that they would really come, not in some magical moment here in this service, but Lord, through their daily walk with you, through their daily trusting you, through their daily knowing you, that they could come to the confidence of David to say, What time I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I will not be afraid what man can do unto you because I know that God is for me. Lord, may we have the confidence of the reality that you are for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask.